0: Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 14 this morning. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1046 in that Bible, and we are continuing our series that we've called Christ Stories parables for today. We are looking at some of these stories that Jesus told us and what they have to teach us about life, about God, about the kingdom, about us, about Jesus, about salvation, and so we've chosen just a few. He's told many parables in the Gospels, but we've chosen a few to focus on for these number of weeks. We're about halfway through right now, and we're not just wanting to look at the scripture and say, hey, wow, that's really good scripture, Uh, Because that doesn't take a lot to be able to acknowledge the good or acknowledge the truth in the Scripture. We're wanting to go further than that and actually apply the Scripture to our lives. So just a quick story. Last week we did the parable of the unmerciful servant talking about forgiveness. We are to be a forgiving people. That is not always easy, but we have been forgiven, and so we are to be forgiving. And we were, uh, we taught that last week, and then last Saturday and Sunday, uh, the Bridge, which is the Leamington Youth Center that we've been very much a part of for the last couple of years, uh, was doing a soup fundraiser. So we finished church here, and then my family and I went to the soup fundraiser. Many of you were there as well. And so we were sitting there, and there were you know 47 different kinds of soup, and they were all amazing. And we were enjoying our soup, and a woman from our church came and sat down beside me and said, I did it. And I said, what did you do? I have no idea what the context is of that statement. And she said, we had this sermon on forgiveness. And at the end of the sermon, we had prayed and we'd said, Holy Spirit, bring someone to mind. Uh, who we need to forgive, or, or where there is still some tension or whatever, and so we just said, "Just give us one name, one person, and and then we prayed for that person, and we released that person and uh, and we prayed blessing over that person, and as Pastor Mesh was closing the service, he said, "Hey, uh, you might need to take an actual step from here. you might need to call somebody or take a step towards reconciliation." And so this woman had been in the sermon, and she went to the bridge, as many of us did, and she walked in the door of the bridge, and the person who came to mind was sitting right there at the bridge. And so she went over, and she said, "'Listen, I know we've, we've had our falling out, but I don't hold anything against you. I would love a fresh start uh, in our friendship.'" And then she sat, and they talked, and they caught up, and they they sat there for 15, 20 minutes, and and she just felt light, and she felt great. And so I just wanted to tell you that story, just a a little bit of encouragement from last week's message, and, and to show that is what we are trying to do, not just look at the Scripture, but live it out. And our key verse for this series has been from 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever calls themselves a follower of Christ has to actually follow Christ. And so we don't just want to acknowledge the scripture, we want to live it out. And so that's where we're uh, constantly pushing ourselves in this series of not just what did Jesus say, and not just how did Jesus live, but how can we live that way too in our day-to-day lives. I'm going to show you a video clip here, and it's going to kick us off this morning as we get ready to jump into our text. We're heading back to Forrest Gump this morning, 90s classic. And in Forrest Gump, he is uh, a man, he's not the smartest man, obviously. If you, if you don't know the movie, he's a pretty slow guy. Uh, but he's telling the story of his life, and in this clip we're about to see, he's telling the story of his first day at school. You can't sit here. Even meanness sounds charming in a southern accent for some reason. And so they're setting up in that clip the, the love story that's going to kind of dominate the whole movie. But uh, for some of us, that's what school was like. We remember feeling left out or, or on our own, or, or, or maybe that's what work feels like, or maybe even that's what church has felt like at times. And we see in that clip uh, just the, the beautiful simplicity of someone saying, hey, you can sit with me if you want to. Uh, You don't have to feel left out. You don't have to feel alone. You can sit here with me. And that is who we are called to be as followers of Jesus. There should never be a lonely person around if there is a Christ follower nearby. That we have talked in this series of we are to be a loving people, we are to be a sacrificial people, we are to be a forgiving people, and we are to be, as we'll talk about today, a welcoming people. We are to be the ones who on behalf of the Lord bring anybody who feels alone, anybody who feels left out, anybody who feels lonely or hurting or broken in this world, you and I are God's strategy to bring love and encouragement and support to that person. We are to be the ones who say, come and sit with us. You can come and be a part of, of what we're doing here. There should be no loneliness in the kingdom of God. There should be no loneliness in the church because we are to be a welcoming people. Now, we don't do this perfectly, and I think we'll get challenged by this a little bit today. But many years ago, I heard a pastor preaching, and he told the story of when his kids were younger, and they were going off to camp, and they were going to spend some time, and it was, uh, you went away for a couple weeks up into northern Ontario, and his kids were nervous about, we're not going to know anybody, and then what if we don't find any friends? And, uh, and so what their dad said to them with kind of pastoral, you know, godly wisdom was, uh, you don't need to worry about that at all. You are going to have tons of friends. Because when you get up there, yeah, there's going to be people you connect with naturally, and that's great. But I also want you looking around for who doesn't have anywhere to sit. For who's not getting invited to play the games? For who's by themselves or off on their own? And I want you to go after them and invite them to come sit at your table. Invite them to come and play a game. Invite them to come hang out with you. If you do that, you will always have friends. You will never need to worry. And you will look an awful lot like the way Jesus wants us to look and where it's really easy for us to want to seek, you know, the popular group, or want to hang out with our own friends, or hang out with our own family, Jesus actually calls us a step beyond that, as we're going to see today. So let's take a look at our text. We're in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. And verse 1 says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. So I just did that verse just to give you the context. We're going to jump down to verse 7. In between verses 1 and 7, there's a story of healing, which is awesome, and you can read it on your own. It's just outside the scope of where we're going today. So verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." So there's kind of two sides of the coin in this uh, little sort of mini parable. And one is about humility, and one is about hospitality. And we're gonna touch on both of them today. But in Jesus' time, there was a really kind of rigid uh, social order surrounding dinners. And you get a sense of it as you read the Gospels, that uh, dinners were not typically just, hey, come on over for some food. Uh, And I'm sure that happened. But when they're talking about dinners, they're talking about something very formal. And there's a lot of social etiquette involved. You never turn down an invitation if it came to you. Uh, There was seating that was obviously very important. And this parable comes as Jesus is at a fancy dinner, and he notices people are kind of jockeying, for the best seats and so there were seats that were more important typically seats that were closest to the host and then there were seats that were less important they were at the back maybe or on the far side of the table and so there were people at this dinner that Jesus is attending who are trying to get the best seat for themselves they are trying to to get the seat of honor the seat seat of prestige And as people come together in these days and have a meal, it's crucially important, it's built into Jewish culture, it's built in even to Jewish theology, how important it is to share a meal together. And we know some of this ourselves, maybe instinctually, where uh, typically when we celebrate anything, there is food involved, right? Everything from, you know, Christmas to Thanksgiving to birthdays to Super Bowl to whatever, uh, when we get together, often what we get together for is food of some kind. There is something about the sharing of food that is important. And so we all, I hope, have some memories of, you know, maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, and you remember a meal that was important or a birthday dinner. Uh, Often when a couple goes out on a date, they'll go out and they'll go out for dinner, and there's something about the breaking of bread together where uh, you know it's not like a meeting, it's it's like just a, a gathering, it's a social thing where our walls come down a little bit and we, we tell stories and we ask questions and we answer questions and, and we really bond over food. And so food is a big part of a lot of what we do, just in in our our culture, in our society. We bond over food. And in Jesus' day, this was no different. And so when you got together for a meal in Jesus' time, uh, you were on couches, actually. You weren't always literally on seats, but sometimes you read in the Gospels that they were reclining at the table. And so you kind of leaned forward, you had these couches, you had to get your feet washed first because your feet were going to be up on this couch, and the meal could go for hours and hours. And if there was a rabbi there, the rabbi would teach over the meal, and it was a time of questioning and a time of bonding and for the people of the time it was also a really important place where you would invite others to come and sit at your table You didn't want to just have a table just for your family or just for your friends because there were strangers around. There were people who didn't have tables to go to. There were widows and there were orphans. And so mealtime became a key place where you bonded with those you loved, but also where you reached out to those who didn't have anywhere to go and you invited them in. And Jesus is reminding them of that in this. And so in the Jewish culture, they had scripture to back this up. There's a story in Genesis 18 where Abraham is just kind of minding his own business one day and three strangers show up to his house. And Abraham opens up his home. He opens up his table. He invites them to come and be a part of a meal with him. And it turns out they're not just ordinary people. These are angels from heaven who have come. And they've come with a message and they've come with a blessing. And Abraham's able to receive that because he has opened up his table. Even though these people are strangers. They're not family, but he's invited them in and treated them as family. And so for Jewish people who revered Abraham, they said, we want to be like him. And so we are going to be hospitable ourselves. Job, in Job chapter 31, 32, was also revered by Israel as a righteous man. And Job says, on my watch, no stranger had to spend the night in the street. My door was always open to the traveler. So Job was generous, and Job was welcoming, even to the stranger. And even built into the law, the the Jewish law, Leviticus chapter 19, the word of God says, and if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God." And so God built it into his commandments that you are kind to the stranger because you were strangers once in a foreign land. You are kind to the immigrant because you were immigrants in a distant land at one point. And so you are to act accordingly. And if there is a stranger among you, if there is an outsider, if there is someone who is not a part of the family of God, you treat them as if they were part of your family. You treat them as if they were one born among you. And there's this this thread that goes throughout the the whole Old Testament law, uh, which says, this is also how God has treated you, right? You have been welcomed in to God's family. You have been brought in. He has been gracious to you. He has been welcoming to you. He has fed and provided for you. So you now go and do that for other people. And so there is something rich in the theology of this, that the people of God are to be a welcoming people. We are to be a hospitable people. No one should feel lonely or left out when there is a Christ follower around because we are to show love and acceptance and welcome to anybody that we encounter. And so Jesus is at this fancy dinner, and he starts talking about weddings and different things. And it's interesting because uh, Jesus is incredibly gracious, obviously, and loving and patient, but he also speaks the truth, and he speaks it clearly. And so he starts rebuking people at the dinner that he's at. This is happening in real time right in front of him. And so he decides to use the dinner as a picture of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. And so in the first part, he's talking about humility. And so we'll start there. He says in verse 8, "'When someone invites you to a wedding feast, "'do not take the place of honor, "'for a person more distinguished than you "'may have been invited. "'If so, the host who invited both of you "'will come and say to you, "'Give this person your seat. "'Then humiliated, you'll have to take "'the least important place.'" But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. And then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus has seen exactly this going on. There are people trying to get the best spot, they're trying to promote themselves. They want to be seen by everybody as the ones who get the best, who get the seat of honor. And Jesus brings this parable to say, You know what? Even beyond just dinner, Live your life this way. Embrace humility and, and let God take care of you. Don't seek glory. Don't seek that seat. Don't seek prestige. And the last part there, uh, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. That phrase also shows up in Matthew 23 and many other times in the Gospels and the New Testament. This theme comes up, don't exalt yourself. You choose Humility. And as you choose humility, God will take care of the rest. But if you choose to exalt yourself, you will be brought low. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Either way, humility is in the cards for you. And you get to decide whether you embrace that humility or whether you have that humility placed upon you. But either way, humility is what God is working out in us, in our lives. And this can be tough in the age we live in. And every age has had its own challenge. But, you know, in the selfie social media culture we are at, Everything is about self-promotion. Everything is about make yourself look good. Make yourself look as good as possible and, and, and do everything you can so the whole world will acknowledge you and notice you. And so we just need to be aware of that. And there's nothing wrong with that in and it of itself, but we just need to be aware of it, that there is a draw there towards pride and towards self-promotion that we just want to watch as Christ followers. I have found myself challenged a bit in this area And I have some social media stuff as well, as many of us do, but I've just tried to ask myself the question, why am I posting this thing? Uh, Why am I doing it? Am I posting this thought because I genuinely want to encourage people, which I think is always true probably, but is it also because I want everyone to see how wise and smart I am? Am I posting the story about my kids because it's just a fun story, or do I want everyone to think I'm a really good dad? Am I posting this picture because it's just a nice picture, or am I trying to generate likes and comments and I really want the attention that goes with it? And none of that may be true, or some of it may be true, but I think it's just important to ask that question, why are we doing it? What is it that we are looking for? And what does it look like to embrace humility in our lives? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves." That's a, that's a kick, that one. Consider other people better than you. That's hard when we think we're right. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so in humility, consider others better. That's tough to do in marriage sometimes. It's tough when you're mad at your, at your spouse to acknowledge you're, you're better than me. And if we're frustrated with our colleagues or with our boss or with our government officials or whoever that may be, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And to be clear, it's not actually saying that they are better than you, But our attitude, our posture of humility needs to be even if I'm frustrated with my spouse or annoyed at my colleague or or whatever that looks like to acknowledge, there is something here that I can learn. There is something here that they can teach me. I'm not going to stand up and dig my heels in. I'm going to embrace humility. I'm going to embrace the way of peace. I'm not going to fight about all of this stuff. But in humility, I'm going to consider them better than my... There's something they can teach me. There's something I can learn, even if this interaction is unpleasant. And so that's easy to do when we respect the other person anyway. It's not as easy to do if we're in disagreement, but that is the call of Scripture consistently. What does it look like to embrace humility, to take the lowest seat, and to be willing to do that? And I have found in my life, I was just reflecting on that this week, that that any time in my life where I've tried to make something happen for myself, uh, I've crashed and burned every single time. But when I say, you know what, I'm just going to do what I know I'm supposed to be doing now, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to serve, and I'm going to do what, what I know I'm supposed to be doing now, God has come and brought me to other things. He has done the calling forward. And so when we choose the lowest seat, it's not that you're going to stay there forever, but the point of the parable is choose the lowest seat so that you can be brought forward when the master knows it's the right time. So we don't need to be shameless self-promoters in the church. We don't need to be seeking prestige or title or accomplishment or acknowledgement or likes or comments. We don't need to be seeking that stuff. We need to embrace humility, and then God will bring us along as he knows best and as he sees fit. God will exalt, because James says in James 4.10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So we embrace humility, he does the heavy lifting after that. And his way is better than our way. His way is higher than our way. So that's part one. Part one is about humility. Part two of this parable is about hospitality. Verse 12. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. Uh, Jesus says that almost like it's a bad thing. And, and throughout the Gospels, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tries to kind of rejigger our thinking about, do you want your reward here on earth, or do you want your reward in eternity? Do you want temporary acknowledgement and thanks now, Or would you rather have the the acknowledgement and reward of God forever? And so that's what he's getting at here, is that if you invite someone for dinner and they invite you, congratulations, you've had your reward in full. But he says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You will get repaid in eternity, and God's way is always better. Jesus always has this huge heart demonstrated for those who are on the outside, for those who are on the margins, for those who are lonely, for those who are hurting, for the lepers uh, who no one was allowed to go near, for the lame, whose society had just cut off, for anyone who was sick, uh, who was just rejected by people and had no hope. Jesus went specifically to those people, to the poor who struggled and to the heartbroken. Jesus sought those ones out. And if we're to be followers of Jesus, we need to do that as well. And so Jesus, as he teaches, says, when you have a dinner, uh, you know, your friends and family, that's great. Like, you know, people tend to naturally just invite their friends and family. Jesus says, go further than that. Find somebody who's lonely. Find somebody who's hurting. Invite other people to come and sit at your table. N.T. Wright is a New Testament scholar and theologian and pastor. And he tells the story of he was preaching this message and he was challenging his people. So, you know, go find the lonely. Go find someone who's sad, who needs a lift, and invite them over for dinner. And he said, that week I got 14 invitations to dinner. He said, I wasn't sure what to take from that. I guess they think I'm sad a little bit. But he said, I went to them all. Because a meal is a place to bond and connect and and where we let our walls down and where we grow in our connection with other people. And so, and, and it's not even just necessarily about, you know, finding the lost and hurting, but it's about opening up your table beyond just your natural inner circle. Because we all have people that we naturally connect with. We have our family, we have our friends. And so Jesus is saying, sometimes he exaggerates when he teaches. He's not saying literally neglect your family or neglect your friends, but he's saying open your table wider. There There are other people who don't have a family, who maybe don't feel connected, who don't feel loved or taken care of. Invite them in to come and sit at your table as well. Throw a dinner for your family. Invite some others along the way. There's no extra credit, Jesus says, for loving your family. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Sinners do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, the pagans who don't know God, don't they do just as much? Like, there's no extra credit for loving your family. Everybody does that. I mean, not every person on earth, but you'll find criminals and terrorists who really love their kids and love their parents and their siblings. So loving family is is good, it's important, but we don't stop there as followers of Jesus. We go further than that. And we're very naturally, obviously, you're just drawn to the people that you're comfortable with, right? You're, You're comfortable with family you're comfortable with friends, it's harder to reach out to the stranger. It's harder to break ground on a new relationship. Some of us are extroverted and we're very social, and this comes actually maybe not as difficult. Some of us are introverted, we're a bit more private and shy, and this can be very, very difficult. But the call of Jesus is to go beyond just your natural inner circle. Because there are other people out there, they don't have a circle. They don't have a family table to eat at. And they're, they're, all, they're feeling lonely, and they're feeling left out. And no one should ever feel left out when there is a Christ follower around. So even at our church, and I think our church does this better than, than any other church, really, that I've ever been at or worked at. But when we come to church on a Sunday morning, when we're down at the cafe, or when we're hanging out in the lobby, are we reaching out to the visitor? Are we going and introducing ourselves to someone new? Or are we hanging out with the people we always hang out with? When we have a church banquet or a luncheon, are we sitting with just the people that we always sit with all the time? Or are we trying to find somebody we don't know or somebody who might be new and welcoming them to come sit at our table? Sarah and I always try to go into our banquet here and just say, we're not going to make a plan to sit with anyone. We're not going to seek out sitting anyone. We're just going to sit, and anyone who wants to can come sit with us. And we try to invite someone we don't know or connect with someone we don't know because we just don't want anyone to feel left out or feeling like they've walked in like Forrest Gump and all the seats are taken. They're not invited to sit anywhere. So we want to be a welcoming people. And one of the things that Jesus does uh, is not literally teach neglect your family, but what he does is he radically redefines what that word family means. Mark chapter 3 tells this story, starting in verse 31. Jesus is teaching, and then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. His family, his actual family. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And and we use that kind of language as Christians. Like, it's not that weird to say, hey, John's my brother, Marissa's my sister. Like, we, we talk that way. It's in the Bible. But this is very strange. Jesus is talking like a crazy person to the people of that time where you didn't have a broad sense of family. Your family was your family. Your family was your bloodline. And the bloodline was very important. And if Jake were to come to me and say, hey, brother, my reaction would be, you are not my brother. You're not a part of my family. Stop trying to get in on my family. What are you, you trying to get my inheritance? What are you up to over there, shady guy? Like, there was no broad sense of family. So this is radical, what Jesus is saying. And Jesus honored his mother and, and certainly honored his family. Even as he's dying on the cross, he's honoring his mom and taking care of her. But he's, what he's saying is, uh, your family doesn't stop at just your family anymore, if you are a follower of Jesus. By all means, honor your mother and father. Spend time with your brothers and sisters. But anyone who follows after Jesus is also now to be considered your brother and sister. Ephesians 2.19 says, Consequently, to speaking to us, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And also members of his household, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You have been invited into the family of God. And some of us have grown up in church, and and we've always kind of known that some of us have come in later in life, and and some of us today maybe even are just kind of seeking and checking it out. But the invitation is there, that you have been welcomed in to the family of God, and so you are to be a welcoming people towards others. The blessing that you have received is the blessing that you are to give. Hebrews chapter 13 puts it this way, starting in verse 1, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Love one another as blood relatives. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it, like Abraham did in that story we touched on earlier. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Like if a kind of distant stranger or even maybe a work colleague went to jail, you would hopefully feel some empathy, but it wouldn't affect your life that much. If your brother or sister was in jail, you would feel that very differently. And react very differently. If, if someone at your workplace was suffering, I would hope your heart would go out to them. If your brother or sister was suffering, you would jump into that suffering with them. You would support them and be there. And that's what this verse is about. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, as family, as blood relatives. Not in the broad sense of like, well, all Christians are brothers. No, like as if they were literally your family, because this is what your family looks like now as you have embraced Jesus. So it's not that we neglect our actual family, but we just broaden our definition of who belongs to that family. And that's not always easy to do, because it's just easier to stay with what we know. But there should be no one neglected in a church ever, no one ever feeling lonely. No visitor who comes should ever not feel welcome here. And again, I think Meadowbrook does this better than most places, but we can always do better, and we are always keeping an eye on this. Sarah and I were visiting a church once, And uh, we went in, and it was a newer church. It was a church plant. It had been around for a few years. And they didn't have pews anymore. Uh, And in the early 2000s, churches kind of went anti-pew if they were new. It's too religious. It's too churchy. We're doing round tables instead. That's what Jesus loves, apparently. And so they had round tables with chairs around them, and, uh, and it was meant to encourage discussion. And so there would often be discussion time, before and after, and the preacher would ask a question, and you would discuss it with your table. Um, if you were extroverted, it was your dream. If you were introverted, it was your nightmare. And Sarah and I walked into this church, and we didn't have anyone to sit with, and, and we were just visiting. Um, but we started to go to tables to try and find a seat, and we were living out Forrest Gump's experience, his nightmare as we went through. Can we sit here? Oh, those are taken. Oh, okay. Can we we sit here? Sorry, we have friends coming. Those are taken. Oh, okay. This is the downside of round tables in church. Can we sit over here? And just every seat was taken. And then finally there was a table that was mostly empty. There was just one other couple there. And we said, can we sit here? And they said, sure, sit there. And so I'm trying to make small talk with this couple. We're not getting a lot back. And then friends of theirs came in and went and sat somewhere else. And they said, excuse us. And they gathered all their stuff and they left. And they left us alone at that table. And we just thought, wow, if we were looking for a church to attend, which we weren't, we were visiting another city, but uh, man, what would that have spoken to us? If we were an unsaved person, if we were hurting or wounded and came in looking for connection and comfort, what would that have spoken to us? And we all kind of gasped when we told that story, and it wasn't good, but let's not get too self-righteous. What are we doing on a Sunday morning? When we're down at the cafe or when we're in the foyer or when you see people here. Because again, I think Meadowbrook does this better than most churches. Uh, but Sarah and I have had family. Our brother and sister in law came here once and they said, No one talked to us except the usher the whole time. We were here. We came and we sat and we didn't know anybody and no one came over and said hi. So we can always do better at this stuff. I don't think that's a typical response, but we can always do better. So how are we opening up our table? How are we reaching out to the stranger? How are we going out of our way to be a welcoming people? And we're not going to deny our family or neglect our family, but we're going to redefine what family is. And we want to open up our tables because there are people who don't have tables to sit at. And no one should ever feel that way when they belong to a church. When there's a Christ follower around, nobody should ever feel lonely. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done here. When Sarah and I were pastoring at our last church, we never quite got the hang of that city that it was in. It was was just new to us, and... um, Just in that city, just in the culture there, everyone just kind of did their own thing, and there wasn't a lot of connection, and even in our church, there wasn't a ton of connection. I would talk to other pastors, and it was the same in their churches. It was just kind of just part of the culture of the city. Everyone just does their own thing, and that was hard because as we lived there, we didn't have any family around. We didn't know anybody. We had no friends when we first got there, and so we were hours away, hundreds of kilometers away. Uh, from anyone who loved us and so we went in as strangers and we didn't feel overly welcomed and so as things went on and as there were you know birthdays and thanksgiving and christmases no one ever invited us over and and again that was just kind of the way it was we would invite people over and and try to change that but uh kaylee got sick when she was little i've shared some of that story before we were seeing specialists in and out of the hospital and and the first time she got really sick we spent a week uh, in the hospital and matthew had just been born and so Uh, you know it's not easy when you're kind of on your own and so we would do it in shifts and kind of Sarah would stay home with Matt and I would stay with Kaylee for kind of 24 hours and spend the night and then Sarah would get Matt and come to the hospital and we would switch off and I would take Matt home and and just trying to manage that on our own and you know we were posting stuff on Facebook just can you pray for this everybody and pray for that and we got a lot of likes on our statuses but no one said hey how can we help Are, are you guys eating Uh, Do you want us to watch Matt for a bit so you can get some... Like, no one did anything, which is something that, you know, our parents or brothers and sisters would have done, our family would have done for us. And so we were in the hospital for a week, and it was scary, and it was awful, and Kaylee came through okay, Uh, and we went home. And a few weeks later, I actually said from the pulpit, which is a bit weird for me to make such a personal appeal, but uh, I said, guys, we need to do better. Like we, and and even just selfishly, for us, like we've left everything to come up and and minister here. Uh, We don't have any family here. And so we need you to be our family. We need you to be there for us. Uh, We need you to help us out. And a few months later, Kaylee got sick again. And again, another ambulance ride, another week in the hospital. And and again, no one did anything. And so we wrestled through and struggled through on our own. and, And we got out okay. But I think it's safe to say our hearts began to shift at that point. And we stayed for another year because we didn't want to leave angry or upset. But we began to pray, Lord, can we go somewhere else? If we're going to carry this health stuff, if we're going to wrestle through this, like we we just, we feel completely lost and alone up here. And it took us a year to kind of process it. And then, you know, a much more loving and supportive church opened up in Leamington. And we're so happy to be here. Um, And we have some family here on one side, which helps. But you know, I remember saying it back then, saying to our leadership, "Man, like if if the pastors even aren't getting any support, then the stranger in the church is definitely not. Like, how can we do this better?" And it just never, it just was hard. It was it was kind of countercultural to the city we're in. I don't think it's as countercultural here. But there is that challenge there then for us of of how are we doing that? There are people who don't have family here in our midst. We have pastors who don't have family here. There are lots of others. There are people here who don't have a table. There are visitors who come in and they don't know anybody and who is reaching out to them and who is welcoming them? What are we doing in order to be a welcoming people? an email address here at the church questions at meadowbrook.ca and as we uh, wrap up the message if you have any questions comments thoughts please use it people do and we're happy to take some time to talk about that so where are we sitting at the table which seat are we choosing the first part are we embracing humility in our lives are we seeking prestige and honor and, and position and glory and then who are we inviting to sit at our table and just quickly as we close, I've told you the story before of a couple at our church in Amherstburg. And every single Sunday, they were an older church, an older couple, uh, every single Sunday, they would be sitting there during worship, and they weren't that into worship. Uh, and it wasn't because they didn't like worship, but it's because they were scanning the room, and they were saying, who don't we know? Who looks new? Who, who have we not met yet? Whose name don't we know? Or who could we know better, anyway? Uh, their names were Jack and Jerry. And when they saw that person, they would go to them after the service and say, Hi, I don't know if we've met. I'm Jack. This is Jerry. Can we take you out for lunch? And they would go to Maria's in Amherstburg, a little greasy spoon diner, and they would have lunch together, and they would just connect. And uh, one Sunday, just to prove a point about this type of message, I said, How many people here, when you think of your first memory of Amherstburg Community Church, it was Jack and Jerry Housen taking you out for lunch? And two-thirds of the church put their hand up. They said, that was our connection point. And many of them would say, that's why we came back. Catherine Catherine Brooker went to that church and she's saying, that was me. I I remember Jack and Jerry taking me out. And so it doesn't have to be a a huge thing and and it doesn't have to be out for dinner. I mean, invite someone over or invite someone for coffee or walk up and say hi and walk up and and introduce yourself. There's, There's a lot of simple things that we can do, but who are we reaching out to? Who are we welcoming? Who are we inviting to come and sit at our table or sit beside us in the pew or sit with us in the cafe? What are we doing there? And as we seek to follow after the way of Jesus, remembering that we were invited in to his family. He invited us to come sit at his table. He invited us, he was welcoming and hospitable to us. And as we follow his example, how can we do that now for others? not just in church, but at work and at school and in our families and wherever we go? How can we be a welcoming people? Reflect on that this week and if there's something that comes to mind, go and do it. Uh, just like the lady with the forgiveness story earlier, don't wait, take that step. We're going to take some time to worship shortly before we go. I'll ask you to stand to your feet with me, please, as we get ready to close off. Just before we close off in prayer. If you feel like you are needing prayer and you want to be prayed over, we're going to have a prayer team just up at the front. And we encourage you guys to come up and and just join us in prayer there. Um, If you would like to visit, we encourage that as well. We just ask that you guys do that in the lobby or in the cafe. Um, So let's just close off our service with some prayer. God, you are worthy of our praise. Lord, we just ask that as we leave this place this morning, Lord, that you would give us a love for people the way that you love them. And that you would let us see them through your eyes, Lord. That you would let us be a welcoming people, Lord, because you have welcomed us into your kingdom, Lord, at your table. Father, we just ask this as we leave today in your name. Amen. Have a good day, everyone.